The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. If you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of James. James chapter 1 is where we'll continue to look today. Last week we, uh, we looked at verses uh, 12 through 15 together. And uh, i got to tell you that uh, uh, several of you were gone last week, Memorial Day weekend. And i got to tell you that uh, your, your fellow brothers and sisters talked bad about you. They, uh, they, they said things like um, that you all didn't love Jesus as much as they did and things like that. I mean, I'm just telling you. And I corrected them from the pulpit. I defended you, right? So just kidding with you. Uh, glad that uh, several of you got to enjoy some time away. And uh, I would just reiterate what Greg has said. Uh, we, we're going to press on into these summer months. And sometimes it's going to get... A little bit weary because at times we'll come in here and we will look around and it will, there will be lots of faces that are normally here that will be gone on vacations. And we know that. That's healthy for families to, to take some time off. Uh, but let me just encourage you to be as committed through the summer as you possibly can uh, in your attendance, uh, in your, your giving, in your serving. VBS is a great way to, to, to plug in and volunteer. Uh, you're going to see next week an example of of what's going on in the children's ministry as we baptize several kids next week and, and they go through those waters as a testimony to their faith in Christ. So let me just encourage you in that. Let's look together at James chapter 1 and we'll dive right in this morning. Verse 16. The Bible says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now, one of the things I want to tell you right off the bat in this passage, the reason James gives them this warning, we don't need to run by this warning. Verse 16, we don't need to run by him saying, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. You need to be aware this morning that as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, it is entirely possible, even probable, that we will at times be deceived. If you look at this in a larger context of the passage here in James, he's looking at particularly trials, trials, temptations that will come our way. God never tempts anyone. He cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. But he does allow us to endure and go through trials in order to deepen our faith and to grow us as, as believers and followers of Christ. In the middle of trials, we can, though, get so discouraged that we become deceived. I want you to know today that the enemy would love, Satan would love nothing more than for you in the middle of a trial, whatever you're going through. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you would say to me, look, pastor, right now things are great. But things can change in an instant. Isn't that true? And you don't know when trials are going to come. And you may be not in a position where you're saying to me, pastor, things are great. Maybe you're in the middle right now and that trial's been going on for a long season. It's entirely possible for us as believers in the middle of that, to fall prey to the lie, whatever that lie may be, from Satan and for you to be deceived. And I want to give you several of these today, but I, I just want us to not rush by this. And, and I want us to see that James says to these scattered believers, these church members that because of persecution are now living all over the, the region, he writes to them, this letter will be transported and read in all these different congregations spread all over the place now. 
He wants them to know that it's entirely possible, even probable, for them to be deceived in the midst of trials. This this verse, this, this one verse in our section today, this passage simultaneously points back to verses 13 through 15, where James is talking about temptation. At the same time, though, it points forward to verses 17 through 18, where he's going to talk about the generosity and the goodness of God. What this means for us is this, that in the midst of trial, it's, it's possible to think that Somehow God is sadistic and evil and that he's forgotten about you and he's like that cat. Anybody, any cat lovers here today? Okay, some of you love cats. Let me ask the opposite question. Any, uh, any cat despisers here today? Uh, my wife's hand went up and, and not that, you know, she's an enemy of yours now if you're a cat lover or whatever, but I wouldn't let my cat around her. I'm just telling you. Uh, no telling what's going to happen to that. Uh, but... Uh, we, I grew up having cats. At one time, we had 14 cats, and, and it was only because uh, two of them had, had litters of, of kittens, and one had, uh, uh, one had five, and the other, I think, had five or four or something like that. We had lots of cats around the house, and cats are notorious for bringing home gifts for you, aren't they? They go out in the field, and they hunt all day long, and, uh, and they want somebody to be proud of them. And so they'll bring that thing back, and they will lay it right where? Right in front of the door. That's not by accident, and it's not by accident that it's, it's unanimous. It's universal across this congregation. If you had a cat, that's what they do. They bring it because they want you to see it, and they want you to come out and say, oh, good cat, you know. They, they, they're, I'm just feeding some of you that don't like cats. You think stupid cats, insecure cats. Why they need this, you know, praise? Well, sometimes they bring these, and what happens to these field mice? They're not completely done away with yet, right? And the cat will sit there, and he will, he will keep a paw on it. And you'll come out, and he will, he'll know you're looking at him, and he'll let that paw up. And that, my, that mouse will think, oh, he's not paying attention. I can, I can get away. And he'll make a brave attempt to limp away, only to have that cat all of a sudden go chase him down and pull him back in and think, ah, just toying with you. And he'll let that thing do it several times before he finally, um, I want to be sensitive here, but disembowels that, uh, that, that animal, right? That's as sensitive as I could be, right? Sorry about that. Anyway, well, how do you go from that? Yeah. Some, people, some people think that's how God is, right? It's, it's possible in the middle of a trial when things have been so dark and so heavy and so painful for so long, it, it's, it's possible and probable for Satan to come along and tell you lies about God and for you to begin to think, is God just playing with me? Is God sadistic? Does he enjoy this? Is he, is he in heaven now looking at my life and thinking, boy, this is fun. He thinks he's going to get away, but ha, I've got him right where I want him. See, Satan would love for you to think that, and that's exactly what he did with others throughout history when we read the Bible. Think about what he did with with Adam and Eve. When Eve was there in the garden and Adam was with her, standing by passively, instead of leading her and guarding and shepherding her, he's standing by passively and letting the serpent come in and talk to her in the garden. And the serpent comes and says, did God really say that you can't eat from any of these trees? And in saying so, Satan, the serpent, is saying to her, 
is God really that cruel and mean that he's going to hold back goodness from you? Which Eve replies to him and says, no, no, God didn't say that we couldn't eat from any of the trees, just that one in the middle. We shouldn't even look at it or touch it because if we do, we'll die. Satan continues from there, and he, knew, he, he knows that he missed his target when he threw that out to say, did he, did he forbid all these? And now he continues, and he says to her, you won't die. Because God knows, this is what's really going on here, Eve. Let me tell you, God knows that when you eat it, you're going to become wise like him. He doesn't want that. So what is, what is Satan doing in that moment? He's tempting Eve to doubt the goodness of God. Satan does the same thing when Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days fasting without food, without water. We don't know how this could go on, but it's, it's, it's supernaturally. He is sustained by God. And at the end of that 40 days, Satan comes to Jesus and tempts him and says, Look, if you are the Son of God, what's he doing again? Calling into question the goodness of the Father. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. I think in that moment, Jesus, being fully God in that moment, had every power available to him to to indeed do that, to turn those stones into bread. Later we see he will turn water into wine. Surely it would be no bigger of an issue for him to turn stones to bread. And at the end of 40 days, he's hungry. Satan comes and wants to tempt him with the idea that the Father is withholding goodness from you. He's like that cat who's just playing with that mouse. He's sadistic and evil. And and why don't you just come out from under his headship and do your own thing? This is what Satan would love for all of us. And so right now, if you're here and you're in the middle of a trial, I want to run through the exact temptations for you to be deceived that James goes through. But I want you to know that it's entirely possible, even probable, in the midst of of trials and temptations for you to begin to blame God or for you to be able to to, to begin to, to think, well, I'm my only hope, so I will run out from under God. Now, let's look at these together. First off, in the middle of trial, you need to remember God is not evil. God is not evil. James says in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God doesn't give bad gifts. In fact, here we read, He doesn't even give imperfect gifts. You ever gotten an imperfect gift? I've told you about the, 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 the shower radio that I got one time that was not waterproof. That's an imperfect gift. God doesn't give gifts like that. God doesn't give you things that are... You have to take back the wrong size or the wrong color. They don't, you know, fit whatever. He doesn't give you things. He doesn't doesn't give anything but good and perfect gifts. Everything that you have, you receive from him. Greg made made mention of that earlier, that everything we have. The Bible says to us, "What what do you have that you have not received? We have nothing that we haven't received. What do you have? I've often given the illustration of basketball players who are seven feet tall celebrating the fact that they dunk a basketball. Well, they're celebrating something they receive. They're tall. They didn't one day go into their closet and say, I want to be tall. And so they hung from the bar in the closet, you know, like Barney Fife did, wanting to stretch himself when he had to meet the the new regulations. They're just 
celebrating what they've received. Every good gift we have, every perfect gift is from above. It's what we need. Everything everything we get from God is what we need. Everything we get from God is ultimately what we want. But God knows that in the middle of it, we would never pay the price that it costs to get the result. So God often will allow us to suffer through some things knowing what they will produce because we would never go through it ourselves willingly. God is loving in all of His gifts. They are tailor-made just for us. I've shared with you how Satan would love for you to think that God is not good, that He's evil. He'd love for you to question the goodness of God. But here James says to us, every good gift, every perfect gift... You can't, you can't give a perfect gift that's not good. God doesn't give good gifts that are not perfect. James wants us to see that these gifts are coming down from the Father of lights. And what this is referenced to here is, is that God, in the beginning, created the sun, the moon, the stars. That all throughout human history, all throughout history, God has sustained sun, the moon, and stars. Anybody here worried that the sun's going to just fall from the sky today? I mean, anybody walking to their car going, whew, hope we're okay. Anybody worried that the sun's not going to come up in the morning? We don't live our lives that way. Why? Because we've come to depend on the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Secondly, not only is God not evil, I don't want you to be deceived into, into believing that God is evil, that he's sadistic, he's good. But secondly is this, God does not change. 17b says this, James says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You and I experience change all the time, don't we? We live here on planet Earth. We go outside. If you and I were to go outside and stand all day long and put our feet in one place all day long on one spot of the earth. We would be there in the morning and, and the sun would come up in the east and therefore our shadow would cast long to the west. See, I'm having you say it so that I don't get confused and say the wrong thing. We'd stand there and the sun comes up in the east and our shadow would go long to the west. And the longer we stand there, our, our shadow would, and I don't know which way here is west and east, so don't pay attention to my my gestures. But as the day goes on, our shadow is going to get shorter and shorter and shorter, isn't it? Till midday, the sun's overhead and we almost have no shadow at all because the sun's directly over us and it casts this shadow that's right underneath us. The longer we stand there, then our shadow begins to stretch out toward the east. And it begins to grow longer and longer and longer until finally the sun goes down. And the shadow's gone. See, you and I know change like that. God is governing all of that. You and I know that change. We experience change all the time, but God does not change. Another example of how we experience change, do this for me, if you will. Take your, take your hand in front of you and take your, your finger and your thumb from your other hand and just take the, the skin on your index finger and just kind of pull it together. Just pinch it. You don't have to pinch it real hard and then let it go. If you're six years old in here, you can do that, and your skin will go back like that, right? It'll just snap right back in place. 
you're 26 years old in here. It takes a little longer. It sort of just eases back into place, right? You're 56 in here, and it might get back by the end of this sermon, you know. And I'm not going to name an age, but if past a certain point, you shouldn't even do that. I probably should have given you that disclaimer up front because now you've probably made yourself bleed. I don't know. But we change, don't we? This is what it's about. We, we get older. We experience change. The life around us comes and goes. But God doesn't change. He knows no change. Not for the worse. Look, you and I don't have to worry that one day God's going to be in a bad mood. We don't have to worry that God's bipolar. We don't have to worry that God's going to wake up with an attitude and he's just, man, things didn't go right the day before, so now he's going to take it out on somebody. God doesn't change for the worse. God's constant. Let me prove that to you. How did God respond when the people he was in covenant with throughout the Old Testament, when they rejected him and rebelled against the covenant, how did he respond? Didn't he lovingly extend the covenant? Didn't he, didn't he bring them in, love them anyway, provide means to cover their sin? If it were you and I, they'd have been toast. Isn't it good that you and I don't have the power that God has? Somebody cuts you off in traffic, ha, be gone, right? I mean, that's it. They're just done, right? But God doesn't change. When we rebel and sin against him, He's constant. Not only does he not get worse, but he doesn't get better. And that's, as David Platt said, probably better news than he doesn't get worse. Why? Because if he could ever get better, it means he wasn't perfect to begin with. He doesn't get better. He is perfection in all of his attributes. Our God doesn't change. He doesn't lose his cool and go off. He doesn't grow physically or in maturity or in character and knowledge or skill set. You're never going to come up against something that, that you ask God for and, or ask God with, with help with, and, and he's going to say, you know what, I just don't know. Let me Google that, and I'll get back with you. Because God doesn't have to grow in anything. He doesn't change. That's why the Bible often calls him the rock, because he doesn't change. I found this illustration in a commentary this week. I thought it was pretty good. An old music teacher was once asking a greeting, what's the good news for the day? The old man, without saying a word, walked across the room, picked up a tuning fork, and struck it. As the note sounded, he said, that is A. It is A today. It was A 5,000 years ago. It will be A 10,000 years from now. He says, the, the soprano upstairs sings off-key. The tenor across the hall is out of tune. He struck the note again and said, that is A, my friend, and that is the good news for today. The good news for us today is that our God doesn't change. He is perfectly constant and constantly perfect. Our God does not change. Don't think that when you're in the middle of trials that God has somehow abandoned his character and now he has gone off the rails and he is using you as some sort of punching bag. God doesn't change. What God has set out to do, he will finish. Third is this. God does not make mistakes. 
James says here in verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth. The way I crafted this point was God does not make mistakes. You could also say it this way, God doesn't expect you to keep yourself saved. When James here says, of his own will he brought us forth, we call this regeneration or new birth. The Bible refers to this as receiving a new heart, Ezekiel. Let me give you some passages here. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 26 26 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Greg talked about not re, re, um, reacting or, 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 uh, or taking this sermon and hardening our hearts and stiffening our necks, but that he prayed that God would give us soft hearts to respond. And that's what he's talking about here, this, this God regenerating us to respond to the Word of God and the Gospel. John chapter 1 also talks about this act of God bringing us forth by his own will. Verses 12 through 13 of John 1 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes and says, look, it's clear. No one does the things you do. No one teaches like you do unless he's from God. How do I have eternal life? And Jesus gives them some things to do. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these things. And Nicodemus says to him, look, I've done all these things from my youth. And Jesus explains to him how he must be born again. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What James is is saying to them here when he says to them, of his own will he brought you forth, here's what he's saying. Look, in the middle of a trial, you're going to be tempted to think that God made a mistake, that God made a mistake with you, or you're going to be tempted to think that you made a mistake in following Jesus and that you're not cut out for this, and maybe you just need to kind of walk away and abandon this whole thing. And James wants to remind them that they didn't get themselves into this, nor will they get themselves out. That God is faithful, that God is wise, and he's good, he doesn't make mistakes, that he's the one who directs the wind of the Spirit where to blow, and he will see them through. I was thinking about this this morning, and, and I, uh, I was really wanting to be able to illustrate this for you a little bit. And this is, this is what I think, I think will give you a good picture. When my kids were little, uh, parents in the room used to do this probably with your kids when maybe you still do if your kids are small. When they were little, I would take my kids when I could still throw them up in the air. And, and I would take them as their little bodies, and, and they loved doing this. And I would pick them up, and I would take Micaiah, and I would fling him up in the air. 
Now, if I try to do that right now, it'd be a bad day, right? Uh, He's shot up and gotten big on me. But uh, but I'd fling him up in the air. I'd take Abby, and I, I would throw her up in the air. And in the air, they would flail their little arms, not screaming in terror, but just laughing all the way. Now, in the middle of the air, I'm not saying, boy, I hope they catch me. They're probably saying, boy, I hope Dad catches me. But I'm not looking at my child in the air saying, I hope they catch me. You know, I'm not saying that. Why? Because I know. I know I'm going to catch them. They're not hitting the ground. I'll hit the ground first before they hit the ground. I'm going to catch them. and I'm going to pluck them from the air. And the way a lot of people approach this thing of salvation is they think that, well, God maybe got me into this thing, but it's up to me to catch God and to hold on to God. And, and maybe I might miss and maybe I might let go and maybe things will be ruined. And you need to hear from James today that it's not up, for, up to you to catch and to hold on to God, that God is the one who called you, made you alive to the gospel, and he's the one who will hold you all the way through. Isn't that good news? That's good news because you and I fail, right? You and I fail If it were up to us, we'd been gone a long time ago. I would have hit the ground, broken bones a long time ago. But God, in His mercy, in His grace, continues to catch me. Continues to hold me. Now you're going to hear me say all throughout this series in James that James is calling us to live out our faith, to do something. But don't you dare hear me nor James say that We've got to do something in order to hold on to God. See, here's the deal. My kids, when they're in the air, they're laughing and having a ball. They are trusting me in that moment. And that's the way we should live our lives as well. We should go to those who are in need. We should go to those who do not have the gospel. We should serve the Lord and preach His Word. Risk much. Because it's not up to us to hold on to Him. He's going to hold us. God does not make mistakes. He doesn't expect you to be the one to catch Him. I want you to notice in this, and and this is just a passing note before I move to the next one, but... Notice the contrast between verses 13 and 15 and this verse. In verses 13 and 15, our will, what does it it bring about? It breeds and it gives birth to sin, which ultimately leads to death, right? What does God's will lead to? Life. God's will leads to life. When we were dead, he's made us alive. He has brought us forth, this verse says. Next is this. In the middle of trial, you may be tempted to be deceived into thinking that, that God's not told you the whole truth, that he's withholding something, but here's the, the point. God does not lie. God does not lie. He cannot lie. This is what he says here. God has brought us forth by his own will, by the word of truth. 
God uses means to bring us to life. He, he uses methods. He, he, he could simply speak it and we would be His. But instead, He often uses a preacher, right? I think back. We're going into VBS in, in, in just a couple of weeks or a few weeks. And, and uh, I think back, it was in VBS that I think was very instrumental. I don't know if it was right at VBS, but it was right around VBS that, that I trusted Christ as Savior. I remember standing there in the front lawn of that church and doing a craft, and it was some mason jar lid, and they were taking our picture, and they were going to glue this thing to this mason jar lid and give it to our parents for something. You know, I, I don't know what it was, but I remember they couldn't get me to look up at the camera because I was just fascinated with my sandals, my new sandals I had. My how times have changed, right? Um, but it was in VBS. God used means. He used some teacher, some classroom who prepared a little lesson, who maybe was not a great theologian. Maybe, I don't know, maybe never led anyone else to Christ. But God used the proclamation of the Word of God in vacation Bible school to save this sinner's soul. God uses means to bring us to life, and that means is the word of truth. Aren't you glad that God tells you the truth about yourself? Because if God didn't tell you the truth about yourself, you'd never follow him. Because you'd know deep down who you are. If God simply came to you and said, you know what, you just need to put a smile on your face. Be happy because I'm going to bring you to me. Is that the way God saves us? Is that the whole gospel? The whole gospel is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Where does he start? He starts with telling us that we're sinners. If God doesn't tell you the truth about you, you'd know the truth about yourself and know, I can't trust a God like that. You'd know the darkness of your heart, the evil of your thoughts. You'd know you when nobody else sees you. God tells you the truth. Romans 3, he tells us that none are righteous. He uses phrases like their their mouths, their throats are open graves. The poison of asps or snakes, venomous snakes is under their lips. And we know this about ourselves, right? How quickly we run into these things, slander and all sorts of sin. We know how dark our thoughts are and how guilty we really are. We know deep down how hopeless we are to change. But God comes and He tells us the truth. He starts by telling us the truth about ourselves. But He doesn't doesn't just give us the truth. Hey, you are evil. Instead, He says, yeah, but my son is good. And He's going to take your place. He's going to die where you deserve to die. But let me give you some better news. He's not going to stay dead. He's going to be raised back to life and conquer death once for all so that you, in your sin, can trust Him and receive Him taking your place so that there is no more condemnation for you. That's the good news. That's, and all of us know, if you're here today and you're a believer, all of us know what it's like to hear that news and have it wash over you with the goodness that it is. 
Some of you in this room, you grew up in church and you heard the gospel time after time after time after time after time after time. And it just seemed to just bounce off of you. It was, it was just something that was part of the landscape. And you didn't think it was evil. You didn't think it was bad. You just, it was just there. But one day, one day, you heard the news of the gospel and you knew you needed it. And it was the most glorious news that you'd ever heard that he would die for you and that you could be saved and forgiven of your sin, that your sin would be forgiven and washed away. This is what he's talking about here. God doesn't lie. It's through the preaching of Christ and his gospel that God draws people to himself. 1 Peter 1, 23-25 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. Through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all, its, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. God uses means. Listen to what Daniel Doriani has said about this. This is the kindness and excellence of God. As the gospel wins the hearts of sinners, they freely choose the new life that he already willed for them. God brings us forth by his own will, but he does so when someone preaches the gospel and we respond to it. This is the beauty of God saving us. He doesn't lie to us. You don't have to worry in the midst of a trial that all of a sudden he's switched things up. It's not a bait and switch. He's not some guy standing on a street corner with with cards on a table shifting things around. God tells you the truth about yourself in the beginning, in the middle, and all the way to the end. God cannot lie. The last is this. James wants them to see that, look, he's writing. Remember, he's writing to these believers that have been scattered. They're living in all sorts of places, away from home, many of them being persecuted because they are Christ's followers. And they're in the middle of these trials. And many of them are thinking these things. Was I lied to? Was I deceived? Listen, if we, if we believe most of the preaching that's on TV and on the radio and that is popular today, you will get somewhere out in your life if that's all you've believed and you will realize and you will have these thoughts. Was I lied to? Because the reality is most of the preaching out there, I shouldn't say most, a lot of the preaching out there is not telling the whole truth. But if you're hearing the word of God, the gospel of truth, trusting God, taking him at his word, you don't ever have to worry that he's going to switch things up on you. James writes this last one. We will be tempted to, to think that God will somehow quit. And I want to tell you today, here's the point. God will not quit. God will not quit. He says... Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. First fruits, all throughout Scripture, a couple of different ways it's used. Oftentimes it's used to point to that about a tithe, that, um, that the first fruits are the best, they're to be brought to God. But here I don't think that's the context of how it's being used. First fruits was also a way for them to determine how good the rest of the harvest was going to be. And I think that's the way James is using it here. He's pointing to them, these believers that are living right after Christ has ascended in those first 
100 years or so. They're living there, and they are very much so the first fruit of this greater harvest that is going to come. You and I today here in this place, Greer, South Carolina, a long way from where they lived. We're continuing to be the first fruits of the harvest of God. We're that crop that is is part of that crop that's being harvested, that God's bringing in. And he wants these believers here to know that, look, look, God didn't start this to, to just quit. He saved you because he's going to continue this work and he's redeeming a people to himself. What God has started, he will finish. In Acts, when he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, he's not going to somewhere along the way say, you know what, that uttermost parts of the earth thing, I didn't think that through all the way. He's pointing to the fact that what he started, he will finish. That no one or no thing can stop what God has set out to do. You may be in the middle of a trial right now and thinking that God has somehow abandoned you, walked away from you, that that you are behind enemy lines and you've been abandoned. And the reality is God looks down from heaven and knows exactly where you are. And he has not forgotten about you. But instead, what you're going through right now, as we looked at last week and the week before that, and the week before that, has been deemed necessary for you to make you like Christ, to bring you all the way home. God's trials in our lives are meant to be blessings. Listen to Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 through 11. God says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from, far, from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. God's not like us. You tell somebody, Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop by. And you never have any intention to stop by. Oh, I'll give you a call. Let's let's do lunch sometime. I'll give you a call. And you never have any intention. God's not like us. God says, I will do it, and God will do it. So what's, what's the takeaway from all this? Let me give you some things to take away from this. If it's possible and even probable to be deceived as believers in the midst of trial, to think these things about God when these things are not true, I want, I want to give you some things because here we're going to fail along the way. We're going to fail in the midst of these trials. We're going to fail these tests. We're going to come back with bad grades in this. So you need to know some things that are true also about this. Don't be deceived into thinking that your failures will change God's plans. Your failures will not change God's plans. You may be in the middle of something and think that you've ruined it all. Your failures will not cause God regret. God's not looking down at you saying, why why did I send the word of truth to them? They just continue to make a mess of things. Wow. God doesn't regret that. Your failures don't make God a liar. He doesn't call you a saint and then watch you and go, man, what are you doing? I I think he does experience displeasure when we 
sin and rebel against him. Don't get me wrong about that. But it doesn't make God a liar because what God has started in you, he will finish. He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Your failures will never call the whole thing off. We don't have to worry that the church in America has, has gotten so liberal and gone so far away from God's word that somehow, some way, it's just going to ruin the whole plan. Look, you don't find America, and I, I, I want to be patriotic, and I love where we live, and I'm so thankful for the generations that have gone before us that have fought and laid down their lives for the freedom that we have. But you don't find America written in here. You know what God's plan is? The nation's. So regardless of what the church in America does, the Great Commission will still be fulfilled. Let me give you this, the same points really in, a, in another way of looking at them. Because our failures don't change God's plans or cause God regret or make God a liar or call the whole thing off, then we should praise him for his character. He doesn't change. We should praise him for his grace that, that he brought us forth. If you're here today as a believer, you ought to just be speechless as you let that sink into you. That you were, as Ephesians talks about, dead. But God made you alive. Praise him for his grace. You should praise him for his honesty that he told you the truth about yourself and that he still tells you the truth. That he still brings conviction that he still shows you and tells you your need of him. We should praise him for his resolve that he will not stop until the plan is finished. You say, well, how, how do I do this? How do I keep from being deceived? Well, one, I just have to, have to think about some of the examples I've given you. What was Adam doing whenever Eve fell prey to, to the serpent? Standing by and watching. Being passive. So I think, I think the, the, the impetus is on us to be on guard. To be aware. To be aware that this very much could happen. That we do have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Number two, you look at Jesus. How did Jesus resist the temptations of Satan in the wilderness, because he knew the word of God. Satan comes and says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Know the word of God. Spend time there. Hide it in your heart. We every month put a different verse on the cover of this bulletin. If you do nothing else, Make it your mission and your goal to memorize that verse of Scripture every month. I had a conversation out in the hallway last week out in the narthex with somebody and encountering people that say, you know, I'm just not good at that. I just can't memorize. And these same people, the same guys that tell you, oh, I can't memorize things. Let college football season come around. And they'll tell you the stats of every 18-year-old boy that's playing anywhere in the country. I can't memorize. You'll do what you love. Love the Word of God. Let Psalms 1 be true of you. Let your life be like a tree that's planted by the stream of the living water and let it go down deep with its roots because when the dry season comes, you won't wither. 
When the rainy season comes, you're going to produce fruit to the glory of God. So know and love the Word of God. Third is this. Do what James is doing for them. Preach these truths to yourself. Don't let the only sermon that you hear in a week be the one that you just heard from me. In the middle of these, you've got to remind yourself of these things. When, when Satan comes and says, God's not telling you all the truth. You remind him, God doesn't lie. God has told me the truth. He's brought me forth by the word of truth. When he says to you, God's not good. He's, he's really evil and he's just playing with you. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You've got to preach these truths to yourself because if not, you will be picked off and you will fall prey to the deception that James warns against. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, the only reason that we love you is because you love us. You have taken our dead hearts that were hostile toward you and you have made them alive. And you've given us new wills. You've given us new hearts that are soft toward you, that respond to you, that want to please you. And God, even though we we want to please you, it's a gift from you. God, we in this flesh don't always do that. God, we oftentimes disobey and run the other way, and we are deceived so many times. But God, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us that none of that, when we fail, it doesn't change you, it doesn't change your plans, it doesn't make you a liar, it doesn't cause you regret. And God, I pray that that would deepen our trust and our love for you. God, in this place, though, I pray that we would not be people who are deceived easily. God, would you take your people in this place today, God, and make them wise. Make them vigilant, God. Lord, protect us. Lord, when you taught the disciples to pray, you taught them to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so, God, we pray today, deliver us from evil. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. I don't, I don't know how you need to respond to this. I'm not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit I know is faithful to, to draw you and convict your heart. He works in tandem with the Word of God. You've heard the Word of God. So if the, if the Word of God is commanding you in some area, then do it. By the power of the Spirit that lives inside of you as a believer, do it. It will not happen without that effort of yours. God works in tandem with our efforts. He empowers us by the Spirit of God to obey Him. Oftentimes we sit around thinking that, oh, God will just strike me with a lightning bolt and it will just happen. The reality is it doesn't work that way. God commands obedience so that we will get up and obey. So whatever it is God is commanding you today, calling you to today, and get up and obey. You may be here today and you're not a believer. And you say, but I don't know about all this stuff, and I don't think I have the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. If you're not a believer, you don't. 
But just as he brought us forth by the word of his truth, as we responded when someone preached the gospel of Christ to us, you can respond today as well. In, in an instant, in a moment, if you're wondering about this, it could be the miracle of regeneration is happening right now in this room. That the wind of his spirit has blown over you and brought you to life. And you're sensitive to these things because he's calling you to himself. Turn from your sin and trust Christ alone. If that's you, I'll be seated right down here. I'd love to talk with you. There's going to be people that will be out in the prayer room right through those doors around to the left. You can go out that door as well and kind of come around the hallway. They'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you. Maybe it's not for salvation, but maybe you just got some things going on you just need someone to pray with you about. They're not counselors. They're not going to counsel you that way. They're just going to pray. They're just brothers and sisters that love the Lord and want to join you in whatever it is that you're going through. If you feel led to join this church, love to talk with you about that. Whatever it is God's calling you to, say yes to him today. Let's worship our God. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.